Welcome to Fundamentally Drained Podcast with your hosts, Father Everett Lees, Father Tom Dahlman, and Justin Dixon. Three Christians exploring Christianity from a perspective other than the fundamental view from which we have become fundamentally drained. We'll begin the conversation, and you take it from there. All right. Welcome to part two of something we're going to call along the lines of creating atheists or how fundamentalism can create atheists, um, something to that effect. So last episode, uh, I kind of finished up with something that I wanted to come back and touch on and uh, <clears throat> correct a little. <laughs> um, in my ramblings, I, uh, I missed some things I wanted to say about uh, scripture. And um, to jump right into it, something that I've heard in churches and uh, some people of faith is we take it literally with regards to the Bible. And um, over time, I've uh, learned that I, I don't, I, my, for myself, of course, um, th- that's not necessarily possible in every area. Um, and uh, so, but one of the specific things, and I've been sitting in a church when I've heard this from the pulpit or podium, is someone say, I'm not giving you my opinion, I'm just telling you what it says. And um, that's in regard to uh, tough scripture. Someone uses it kind of like an apologetic way to, honestly, (laughs) if something said that's really tough to maybe exploit someone or something, uh, because it excuses that person from being wrong. Um, if I can say and have that in my toolbox of like, oh, I'm, this isn't what I'm, you know, this is my opinion. I'm just telling you exactly what it says. Then that excuses them from any guilt or, or being wrong in regards to that. Um, and I, and I, so, so Justin, yep. There's a, there's a pastor out in Arizona and, um, the, uh, this is true. He gives an entire sermon on how men should stand up to pee. <laughs> and how out in Europe, the men um, sit down to pee, and they're not real men. And um, and he goes, you know, I, you know, I'm, I'm not saying those who are fitted. This is the word of God. And you know, there's this, you oh. know, passage I think in First Kings, and in the King James, it's they pisseth against the wall. No way. And uh, and he goes, you know, and but his whole sermon is on how you know you have to stand up to pee if you're a man. And it's the word of God, and you know. So, anyways, as you're sitting there telling that story, I just have this. Oh, this, thank this you for that. Pastor uh, <laughs> having a sermon on what men should do while they're going to the bathroom. That is awesome, and I will definitely look that up and put it in the show notes. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, you know, I've been reflecting on this this week, uh, and one one passage that comes to mind um, as I grew up that always meant something I thought to me was John 14 two and in my father's house are many mansions, etc. Uh, I'm going to blah, blah, blah scripture here. I go to prepare a place for you. And in my mind, it was, you know, I mean, if you take that literal, then, you know, God is in the cloud. Jesus is in the clouds building a mansion, you know, in a floating mansion with all these rooms and all these, you know, 
a mansion. We'll just go with that, which um, in my father's house are many mansions, which is an interesting phrasing anyway. And um, at, But after digging into that more and learning and, and reading and this and that, I, I heard a couple of different ways that this is interpreted. One of them being um, it has to do with the Jewish uh, betrothal. Uh, marriage process to where a man and a woman come together in the village and and then the man and they you know make a commitment to one another but then the man goes away for a year and literally adds on to his father's house (laughs) a room for them then they come back and get married a year later something to that effect then I've also heard it referenced as something that's talking about the temple and the many rooms within the temple there's always plenty uh, for everyone Um, and so the the different versions and understanding of these things play into that and when you have this rigid this is what it says and you better you know pay attention to it what do you do with that if you don't believe it then you turn away you know or something to that effect if you can't picture a mansion in the clouds then what do you do you walk away Um, but I think it's important to realize that these the biblical authors are writing to an audience in a time uh, to where things were just different. And if we don't dig into what is behind the scripture, you know, I mean, there's poetry, there's narrative, there's discourse in the Bible. And if we don't dig into that, then then we're, you know, I would say doing it wrong. <laughs> um, so, for example, and then I'll let you guys talk some maybe. Um, if I were writing something, and if we were reading through what was the Bible or something like that, and I put in there, dilly dilly. So right now, uh, which I guess it's kind of past at this point, but the Bud Light commercials, they do the dilly dilly, you know, and you walk around and something's funny and someone says dilly dilly. If people in 2000 or 5000 years from now read dilly dilly, they would have no understanding <laughs> what I'm talking about. Are you guys familiar with that commercial? Yep. <laughs> no. You're not? Oh, no. Uh-uh. Come on, Tom. So it's a Bud it must Light only com- be shown on us uh, on sports is that is that okay there you go okay so no they the, they're honoring the king and they bring him a you know case of bud light and he goes dilly dilly you know and so it's the it's the where's the beef if someone wrote where's oh. the beef yeah they we'd be like what is this um in a confirmation class one time we had a a uh, kind of uh thing that we did where people took a penny and let's say people 2000 years from now found you know, dug up a penny, a copper penny, and looked at it. And they'd say, what do we know about these people from this penny? Well, at the bottom, it says, in God we trust. And there's this man on here, and he must have been their king, you know, kind of thing. But it's the same kind of idea. We have to look at this from the author's one, where they're at in culture and what their culture's like, and then their biases and things like that. And so, um, okay, save me. I'm starting to go off the rails here. Thoughts on that? Well, I mean, I, I think when we when we just are talking about biblical interpretation, um, I think that's I think you're hitting the, the nail on the head of that. You know, we we're reading a, a, a translation of a translation. So, mm, good point. you know, most of these right. folks are writing in Greek. Greek has very precise language that based upon its meaning and its in, inference can can actually mean very different things. And so um, so. Um, you know, for instance, this upcoming Sunday, there's this word um, destroy that's in the gospel. And based upon its usage, that word destroy can literally mean like kill, or it could mean something like, um, 
you know, to stop from its original purpose. Um, so that word could mean different things, and a lot of times it's based upon its usage and 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 such. But but we just read destroy, and we bring our own meaning to that right. word. Right. Right. And so I think that um, that we just have to be aware of that, and 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 that in fundamentalism sometimes there's a temptation to offer a rather flat reading of scripture that doesn't really get at what the author was trying to do with with the with the scripture. Isn't it easier? It's easier to say I'm just you know reading what it says, <laughs> um, and but as I have found in my own journey that the depth and beauty of scripture just continues to reveal, uh, you know, is revealed to me the more I dig into and the more I learn, not that knowing um, is, you know, the point, but just the, each time, you know, I turn a page or peel the onion, if you will, it's just, I'm, I'm revitalized from, and it's like, Oh my gosh, thank goodness. It's not just about this. And, um, but if, if that line is drawn in such a rigid way of saying, this is what it says, um, I can think of passages in Romans and things like that, that it's just like, that comes out, it's like, that's what it says. I'm not, you know, this is it. That draws a line. And if you don't agree with that, that line is your in or out. And that's it. And, and so that goes back to the whole point of atheist, atheism in creating people of like, well, you drew the line. I, I have to choose a side. I can't, there is no middle ground here. So, um, Tom, anything on any of this? <laughs> I can't think of anything. Okay. Sorry. Um, so well, but, and I want to, I want to say like on the flip side of it is that, um, and, and, and thank God that we have this, which is, is that we began to read scripture um, also understanding this historical context, right? Understanding that they're dealing with particular times, that they're events, that they're they're dealing with. But there's also there's also the possibility of to so deconstruct the text that it also leaves it without any meaning. Mm, okay. And and I think that's the, the the flip side of the same coin, which is on one side is is that the text has to mean this. The other side is is that we've so deconstructed the story that it ceases to have any meaning as well. Nice. Yep. Um, you know what? Actually, Everett, you and I had kind of talked about that into um, kind of like a lib liberal Protestant understanding of things and, and uh, the, the nice guy. Can you talk about that a little bit, if you would, please, and uh, kind of give us what we were discussing earlier? Yeah, so I, you know, I, I think there's a, um, you know, the Babylon Bee, um, which is the greatest gift to Christianity since communion. <laughs> uh, you know, really and does show notes babylonbee.com. <laughs> a, a sort of, po a, a, you know, a sort of poking, uh, poking fun um, at at religion of all of all stripes. But one of the ways that it, it sort of pokes uh, fun at, at sort of liberal Protestantism um, is to just kind of say basically they don't meet they don't they don't believe anything um, that you know faith is kind of narrowed down to be a nice guy, be a good person, 
um, respect, uh, you know, others, be inclusive, you know, all things that are that are good, but it doesn't have the demands of the transformative faith that we find in Holy Scripture or that we find within the tradition of the church. Right. And, and so there was a, a, an article that was written um, in The Atlantic a few years ago where they went and they interviewed the faith lives um, of young people who had grown up Christian but were no longer, you know, now kind of considered themselves atheists or agnostics. And, um, and one of the things they talked about was, is like, you know, um, they, you know, my church just wants to give simple answers to complex problems hmm. or, you know, my, my church doesn't take the Bible seriously. And so here's this thing that we read, that we study, that we uphold as important, but anything that seems kind of difficult or challenging, we just kind of just push to the side and, um, so, so basically, is, is is what they would say is is that that there's a, a a flip side of that, which is is that we don't offer a faith that is worth believing in. Oh wow! So I can just go home and be the nice guy, sleeping on Sundays, and and just roll with it, <laughs> <You> know, <laughs> right? Because there's no challenge, be- excuse me, behind it. Um, I've often thought about the narrow path that's spoke about in scripture. And how, um, and how what seems to be, and I, uh, every side uses the narrow path <laughs> as they're the ones that are on it. Of course, us three are on it and no one else. No, I'm just kidding. But right. it's just funny how we take scripture and we use it to fit our own place. And, um, and so if, if, uh, but, I, but I appreciate the fact that, that, um, people, yeah, I, I can appreciate that people are calling to be challenged um, because as soon as we get comfortable, we get complacent. And I, that is my <laughs> time and time again, I felt like I have always come to the pinnacle of faith through knowledge in many ways, but just like, oh my gosh, I've learned this. Holy moly, there can't be more than this. And then once again, someone schools me um, and, and uh, or God reveals something wherever it is, uh, usually in the form of humility and humbleness. Um, and, and it's like, holy moly, how does this happen? Uh, and, uh, and, and that's what is rejuvenating to me is, and I get that through community, through speaking with other people, through learning, through reading, studying, and all these different things, and then revealed through just uh, being in relationship with others, that's where the mystery continues to be um, instilled in me um, whenever I'm in conversation or seeing, well, you know what, for me through nature and things like that. Um, but the challenge of what's next, and uh, it just continues to bring itself. And so I can understand where people get uh, complacent and bored, even. You know, I mean, if, if it's not challenging, then it could easily become bored, boredom. What's next, gang? (laughs) I used to say that um, we're losing our young people because they're bored. But it's Mm. not because they... It's not the liturgy or the sermons. It's just the lack of challenge. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's true. I read the article that Everett's quoting. I didn't see him really pointing out any type of church, whether fundamentalist or progressive, it just, it just basically, a lot of these kids 
had seen in their churches the the message either was no challenge in the message or they had seen like a moral failing in the church you know what i mean oh, yeah. or or there had been a death or hmm. but i i get the i get the point Everett's trying to make i just wonder i wonder how we can offer we have to be saying something is what i draw from it and and why is it so hard for us to give people answers about things we we think that only you know fundamentalists give solid answers to things but that's we could give solid answers to things it's just maybe a different list of things and maybe these would be things that are more convicting you know yeah you know but i think part of it is is that is that some, you know, in terms of solid answers is, is that sometimes there isn't a solid answer. Right. You know, right. I mean, you, you know, I, uh, I, I was, I was with a, a family recently and, and, you know, their, uh, you know, father dies and, and the daughter says this really sucks. And I'm like, you know, that's about as solid as an answer as I can get. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and I think there's sometimes in, in the Christian um, tradition, in order to, to do or to say something, we oftentimes end up saying something when really we just mean to sit there and go, this sucks, there is no easy answer. Right. Um, because a lot of these things are really complicated. And so, you know, just simply saying, well, this is God's will because it says so and such and such, or, you know. Um, or something it, cliche. Oh. Or some cliche is what is what we we tend to rely upon, um, and and this is where like spiritual direction versus counseling is is a different animal because in in spiritual counseling or spiritual direction, you know you, you know you look at the stories of, of of complex figures and and how is this moment that sucks like this other biblical story right and in which there was you know how's this like. Jonah, or how's this like Job, or, um, so. The, um, that's a great point of seeing our lives in scripture, and that, that's where the depth, I think, in the, um, uh, I've already used the word beauty, but a, also in a usefulness way, um, that almost cheapens scripture, and I don't mean to do that, but, uh, just using the text, it, just seeing how many people came together and like the canons and, and how many people came to put this Bible that we use today together and why and understanding that you can go into it and find places and comfort throughout the stories of people there. Um, because Abraham, I, when did I was this last episode? I don't know. Abraham, you know, tried to sell his wife to Pharaohs. I think Tom alluded to last episode. Uh, but right. understanding that just because I do something and just because I see, as it was referred to, a moral failure in a church, that's just human. Um, Abraham's the father <laughs> of all nations, and he, you know, messed up plenty of times. It's understanding that it's not one and you're done kind of thing. You're out, you know, oh, I can't be that. I can't do this. No, we all can't do this. And so, but we are together in this and we're just going to continue to go and move forward. Uh, just as you also said, Abraham just continued to walk. 
He just continued to move, and that was why he was, and he was considered righteous, you know. Right. Um, Rachel Held Evans has a book um, that's coming out called Inspired, and it's how do you know that, Everett? Uh, well, she was, she was our speaker at um, the Bishop's um, Day, and uh, and she alluded to, to some of the stories that she was talking about in her book. And one of the things was is that she she talks about the depth of, of many of these characters and some of the stories that we sort of just glance over. Um, and I, I'm thinking, um, you know, of, of the story of... Um, you know, like, um, like Isaac and Ishmael who are, you know, half brothers and, and how we just sort of, you know, run over that story and we don't think about the moral complexities that are present there. Um, and Ishmael's mother sort of being, you know, sent off and sent away, you know, uh, you know, originally. And, um, and so she, you know, her, what, what she's doing is she's saying that, that if we're going to, you know, if we're going to believe, you know, if we're going to talk about the Bible being important, then we really have to um, get back to reading it in its depth and not not its surface meaning. And so here, this is where I could use this piece of passage as either my weapon or to, to make you feel better about what's going on, um, but to really challenge us. And also not so deconstruct it that it no longer has meaning for us. Um, that, you know, the historical critical method is a wonderful gift to biblical scholarship, but the point of it is, the goal of it is to have a deeper understanding and love for Scripture, not to just sit there and pluck out the parts that, you know, are difficult for us to to wrestle with. Right. That's awesome. So, yeah. so it seems like what we're saying <laughs> in the last two episodes is that... Um, we fail as church leaders when, on, let's say, the right, we give answers to biblical questions that are shallow or just assume the scriptures are speaking modern 21st century language. But we also, you know, that's what we call fundamentalism. Um, but we also err on the other side of the coin when we refuse, when we don't engage with Scripture and we just kind of write it off and we try to give easy answers, well, just be nice, or there are no... So there's pitfalls on either side, right? Right. Is that what we're saying? Or everywhere, but yes. <laughs> right. And I don't think I explained fundamentalism very well. Uh, in that it's okay. I think we've done enough on that. I think everybody will get it that's listening. Okay. So, um, what is the answer then? That's what I. <laughs> for all, for you and I, all three of us are in a position to be teaching people. Right. Right. So, what, so that's, thank you, Tom. And that's where, so I have, what do we learn from this and how do we approach this in our lives and ministries? What, what, what can change from this? For me, for me, I just try to take the Bible. The lesson for me is just to take it seriously and for me to actually say what I believe and be honest with people. 
but don't but don't write it off and try to challenge and try to find the challenge for us in the like when I'm preaching or teaching try to find the challenge for us in whatever text the lectionary puts in front of us for that week that's good that's one answer anyway i i have i struggle because um and um you know i'm i i'm with youth i would say a lot more so and um i struggle with conveying my questions doubts and other areas sometimes because of the formation process some areas i do and some areas i don't i shouldn't say it's all the time um but you know that's a that's a tough one for me because i i do i i don't know what to reveal about myself and it's like okay am i a teacher or am i a peer here and that's where and and i mean I, that you all could apply this too and so I get into those places, um, but that's something that I, I deal with myself. And maybe I talk to people that I'm, uh, you all, for example, uh, and others uh, about struggles, questions, doubts, things like that. And then when it comes to a teaching, I reveal some, but not all. And, and I, I don't know if that's right or not. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not sure, um, but I am always open to accepting other people's doubts and questions, um, not from a, no, that's what it means, just deal with it kind of, <laughs> but accepting what they have to say and, and open it up for discussion in the room. So I don't know if that made all made sense or not, but that's how I can explain it best. So I, I do think this, when we don't give answers, the kids in our youth groups or the adults in our churches will sometimes, maybe most of the time, assume that the loudest voices out there mm, right. are giving the answers, right. like the fundamentalists. So even though they might have been raised in a church that believed none of the things that some of those churches believe, because we don't give counter-answers with past, the same kind of passion and zeal, then we our kids are reacting and our adults are reacting to the same messages. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. And, and, and thank you for saying that because that actually just, you just kind of jogged my memory. And I do <laughs> that when I hear something that is a toxic teaching and our example, that example of what a toxic teaching is, is our podcast period. You go back and listen to any episode somewhere in there. We've talked about something that's toxic. I jump on those, honestly, with so much passion that I have to turn around and tell the, tell the youth, <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm a little passionate about this. <laughs> this is not, you know, uh, some kind of, uh, I'm not getting on to you all, but I just want you to know that's not the way it is, or <laughs> some kind of thing like that. And so I do get rigid in those areas, and I'm sure that I fail in some of those teachings too, but I tend to jump on those things because the culture around us and the fundamentalism um, in Oklahoma is the strongest teacher. Uh, that, and that's kind of what you're saying, I believe, Tom, is, is everyone's been brought up in it. Even if they are, you know, uh, cradle Episcopalians right. or whatever We're it is. We're all Baptists here in Oklahoma. Yeah, exactly. Everyone Sorry. knows no the teachings the of the fun. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, and... and so I am more 
counter teaching than I am just teaching sometimes, but the, the two go hand in hand. Uh, teaching in a counter method is actually undoing some of the toxic things that we came through. Um, just like the, the mini mansions, the John 14 too. Um, I mean, I grew up literally thinking there are mansions on clouds and, and, you know, that's what I believed until finally someone sat down and I listened or whatever it was. Someone sat down and goes, no, well, here, this is what this means. This is has to do with tradition and things like that. And, and uh, so. Right. But this is one thing I love about. I'm sure Everett will have something to say about this. This is something I really like about Michael Curry or N.T. Wright. Or these are people who for our church are in the public eye, and whether you agree with all of their answers or not on either side, at least they're two people who respond with Scripture, respond with the teachings of the church, and they point out the inconsistencies of what a lot of the loud fundamentalist voice, voices are saying. And, and I think we need a lot more of that. And that this podcast, yeah, you're right, I guess it this is our own small attempt at that with our small voices. <laughs> um, and I think that's why people are drawn to Michael Curry, for example, because yes. he speaks with passion and authority, but he doesn't fall into those same traps or those pitfalls that most of the people who speak with passion and authority seem to fall into, or Stanley Harawas, somebody like that. Who is, can you explain who Michael Curry is, please? He is the presiding bishop of the Episcopal Church. He preached the what is probably the most heard sermon in history at this point. Uh, I'm not sure about whether that. you like Maybe it or so. whether two billion. They said two billion people. Oh my gosh! Really? Heard, heard the sermon? Yeah. So for better or worse, and the critic. There's been a lot of criticism and praise for it on the internet. I mean, it's a wedding sermon. Right. I mean, he's sure to get a lot of scripture into a wedding sermon. I'll make sure to link, link it in the show notes. It brought tears to my eyes when I heard it. But nice. Um, nice. What do you think about? What do you think about that, Everett? I just figured it well, fell out know, of his chair a long time ago. <laughs> from our tradition, um, folks like N.T. Wright, uh, Hauerwas, Curry, you know, the, I, you know, I could uh, Fleming Rutledge. Um, who who speak with such conviction and clarity in a way that is not fundamentalism, but is deeply faith-centered, Jesus-centered, um, that's thoughtful, that's you know academic, academically rigorous. You know that it, it, it's a breath of fresh air to many of us. And and there's a lot of folks that I run into that came to the Episcopal Church from. Um, you know, evangelical circles, and they say, you know, oh, I came here because I had read N.T. Wright, and you know, and <laughs> and then there's 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 people in our tradition that are like, well, who's N.T. Wright? <laughs> right. And I'm like, you know, and 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 I'm like, how do you like, you know, uh, it, it is such a gift to have folks like that um, that we can sort of lean on. Um, that offer sort of a third way of approaching faith that are mainstream. Yeah. I hope, uh, and I appreciate what you're saying too, and the loud voices and things like that. And my hope for that is that we 
always, myself absolutely included, approach it through love and humility. Because otherwise, we're just a screaming head. And I do understand what you're saying, Tom, and I'm not going against you saying, you know, boldly speaking and uh, preaching and things like that. I don't. But if we don't do it in a humble manner, and, and, um, and unfortunately, that probably just opens more doors than we can answer in this episode. Um, but it's just, it, I'll just say this, in love. In love. Um, and, um, yeah, I'll leave it at that. I agree with you 100%. Thank you, Tom. And may the peace of the Lord be always with you. Thanks for joining us today. You can find us on Twitter and Facebook at at FunDrainPod. We'd love to hear your comments on our episodes and also suggest future episode topics. Also, if you enjoy what we're doing, go on to iTunes and give us a review, please. Thanks a lot. Thanks for joining us today. You can find us on Twitter and Facebook at at FunDrainPod. We'd love to hear your comments on our episodes and also suggest future episode topics. Also, if you enjoy what we're doing, go on to iTunes and give us a review, please. Thanks a lot.